Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Viral Patel, CEO and founder of Radish Health, a healthcare platform that's raised over $5 million in funding. Viral, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Am I pronouncing your first name right? Almost. It's Viral. Viral. Got it. All right. Sounds perfect. Now, before we begin talking about what you're building, let's begin with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah. So my background, I actually am an ER physician. I worked at various hospitals here in the New York area where I live up to my last big job. I was the vice chair and director of one of NYU's emergency rooms, after which I saw a lot of interesting things happening in health tech, especially around care delivery. Had no tech experience, but seemed interesting enough. I actually quit my job at the hospital and then um, worked at Oscar, the health insurance company, for a handful of years as a medical director as well prior to starting Radish. And what did your family, what did your friends think? What did your colleagues think? Did they think you were insane to leave behind a career as a doctor? Yeah, I mean, I was still a practicing as a physician and a medical director at Oscar, so hadn't fully left my career as a doctor, but they still thought I was insane leaving a really cush medical director, you know, vice chair job of a hospital system. So yeah, still thought I was crazy. It's different. <laughs> Got it. And a couple of questions we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as an entrepreneur. Is there a CEO and an organization that you're studying the most and learning the most from right now? I've always been, I think that the same thing that I've done when I was a practicing physician as well, I try to study as many CEOs as possible. I don't think that anyone has it perfectly and right. And no one is going to be have the exact same issues or challenges that we would have. So it's always important, I think, to, to take a look at a bunch of different ones and see what they do right and also see what they do wrong. And are there any specific ones that you've really learned the most from as you've built this company up? One specific book comes to mind. So prior to and right around you know, starting the company, I read uh, Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table. And I come from a hospitality background as well. My parents uh, run hotels. And I thought it was really interesting that he, how he talks about the importance of that personal relationship and both how you treat your employees as well as how you treat your patrons. And I think that a lot of his success is based on that. And I think that we, you know, we try to hire that way at Radish as well as that's how we try to take care of our patients as well as like they should be the most important person when they're talking to you. And I think that it's a really interesting book. I don't know if you've read it or not. Yeah, I haven't. And it's uh, refreshing to hear a new book. Most people that come on say something like zero to one or the hard <laughs> thing about hard things. So refreshing to hear a new book. Now let's talk about Radish Health a bit more in the origin story. And then we can talk about what pain point you're really solving. Yeah. So I mean, I said a little bit about my background. And so that's part of it. And then just being a doctor, I was a doctor for a lot of friends and family. And what I saw and heard a lot was, you know, these are people, a lot of my friends and family have really smart people, high-level degrees, really good health insurance, in most cases, like Cadillac health plans. But when they got sick, they really didn't know what to do and how to navigate the healthcare system. And part of that was even people that had a doctor they called their primary care doctor that they got their annual physical from, they couldn't get a hold of that doctor. They would just call me. And I'm like, there, there should be a better way. And I think that everyone deserves that you know, doctor in the family kind of experience where it's not just you reach out to them once a year when you get your annual physical, but then that's also the same person you go to 
when you get a cold or when you twist your ankle and you think that you may need an x-ray, like you figure out what to do or, hey, I have this weird ailment. I don't know what to do. Do I need to see a doctor? Do I need to see a specialist? All of those things should be taken care of by one person, in my opinion. And I think that it was that those experiences, both, you know, working in the ER and seeing the the end result when things went wrong on that, working at Oscar, the health insurance company, trying to prevent people from going to the wrong types of care and spending a lot of money for themselves on the health plan. And then just being that doctor for friends and families, like there's a better way. And I think that way is to essentially have everyone feel like they have a doctor in the family. And is that concierge medicine? That's the term that I've been hearing a lot lately. Is that the same thing or is that different? It depends on who you talk to and how you define it. Concierge medicine here in New York City, there are a lot of concierge medicine practices. They don't work with health insurance. They don't take health insurance. They'll charge you, you know, sometimes five, ten thousand dollars a year to your family to have access to a doctor whose cell phone number you have. And most people just can't afford that. So I think that what we want to do is use technology to make that level of service available to, you know, people that have employer-sponsored health plans. Got it. And I was reading an article about you that said you're eliminating unnecessary ER visits. What percentage of ER visits would you say are unnecessary? Before I say that, I think it's important to remember that it depends on who's asking and who's answering the question. I think that from a physician, I can easily say, look, 70-80% of visits are unnecessary and they could have been taken care of by another doctor. But from a patient perspective, I think that that number probably isn't even close to that high. It may be 10, 20%. Because for them, they came to the ER not because they just wanted to come to the ER. They came to the ER because they thought they had a true emergency. So I just I think it's always important to have that distinction on, yeah, maybe that 70% could be prevented. But that's that when you ask a doctor after the fact versus the patient after thought they had an emergency. And I think it's important to remember. Got it. Makes sense. And then can you talk us through who's actually paying you and, and how you make money and what that business model looks like? Yeah, so we work directly with employers. So employers will buy traditional health insurance that covers major medical issues. If you want to go to Dr. Jones down the street, you can. If you need to walk into an emergency room, you can, it'll be covered. But they'll buy our service on top of that to give their employees a more premium product. So instead of checking your retina card, looking on the back of it, finding a doctor that's in network, calling a few going down the list to find someone that's in network that's taking new patients and then getting your annual physical and then not being able to reach the same person when you have a cold, you have strep throat, you need a quick refill for something and having to go to urgent care for that, we become that one person. So you get are given access to our services through an app. You're assigned a doctor, you're assigned a therapist. You know that that doctor and therapist are in network. You know they take your insurance. You know there's not going to be any surprise costs or out-of-pocket costs. And everything just kind of works. There's no heavy lift on navigating how to use the health insurance employers uh, providing you. And in terms of adoption, where are you seeing the most adoption right now? What size organization? And are there any specific verticals or anything else there that you can share just in terms of traction? So we're pretty agnostic when it comes to vertical. You know, everyone needs better healthcare, I think. In terms of company size, we really go after companies that are two, three to hundred and above. The reason being those companies tend to be more likely to be self-insured. And they see not only an upside in providing a better service to their employees, but if those employees are then now using the ER less and urgent care less and overall healthier, not only are they more productive and happier, but they also cost less to their health plan. Got it. 
And what about numbers? Are there any numbers that you can share? Yeah, we are approaching around 10,000 lives that we take care of. We're over a dozen companies we work with here in the New York area. We can provide care in a little over 20 states currently, should be at 50 states by the end of Q1. And is this just a regulatory nightmare for you? Do you spend a huge amount of time and energy and money on the regulatory side? Or what's that like? For the last part, yeah, I think that the state licensure and growing into new markets, that's a regulatory nightmare. Having different corporations based on the state and state laws, uh, it, it's a bit of a challenge and a nightmare. But given that more and more companies are either hybrid or have multiple locations, we've seen that it's just important for us to be able to provide care in more and more states. We've covered most of the heavily populated states, but as companies have fully remote workforces, you're seeing more and more workers in places where you traditionally wouldn't. Got it. A few months ago, we had the Teladoc founder on, and he was talking about in the early days how the medical industry was very hostile to Teladoc and what they were trying to do. Have you experienced any hostility to the model that you're trying to bring and what you're trying to push? Or how is the industry perceiving what you're doing? I think that we haven't really seen hostility overall. We do occasionally talk to people that don't quite understand how you can provide everything virtually and how you can become someone's doctor virtually. And I think the question I always ask to those people, and they tend to be insurance brokers or consultants we talk to, is like, well, do you have a doctor? And like, yes, I do. And how often do you see them? Well, I see them once a year for my annual physical. And the next question I was like, well, if you got sick tomorrow, where'd you go? Every time they always say, oh, I'd go to urgent care. It's faster. So my point being, it's like, you know, people that even have a doctor, they're going to the wrong place when they get sick. So if they can go to the same person for both things, is that not better care? So that's really the, I think the biggest pushback we sometimes get is that people want to believe that everything has to be done in person to have a primary care doctor. Makes sense. And I feel like COVID had to accelerate that change quite a bit, right? A little bit. I think the biggest thing it did was it more physician practices that started accepting that telehealth is a way to provide great care. Practices that historically only saw people in person and in their office started doing telehealth care, whether it's you know, GI doctors doing follow-ups for colonoscopy via telehealth instead of having them come back in, or same with cardiologists that you, know, you come in for the test, you can always do the follow-up. And I think that it became more accepted amongst the medical community. I think that was the bigger thing that I saw, and maybe that's my bias as a physician, than, and less so from the patient side. I think patients have always valued convenience and care as well as that doctor-patient relationship. And telemedicine obviously provided convenience. It's just more people were providing that convenience uh, thanks to COVID. Makes a lot of sense. And what about market categories? How do you think about market categories? Is this a new category you're creating? Is this employee health benefits? You know, What are your thoughts there? I would say we're a new category. So I don't want to be pigeonholed into just the traditional telehealth companies like a Teladoc or an Amwell. They're a different model. I think they're more akin to like the Uber model where I need a car, I match someone with a you know, car and a driver, I match them with a car and a driver, and you put the two together. They drive me somewhere and that's it. I don't get the same driver again. In our case, you always get the same person and we assign you a doctor so you can build a relationship with them. So whether you book an appointment with them for an annual physical and talk to them for 30 to 45 minutes, or you text them in the morning because you have a weird rash and you don't know what to do, it's the same person you built that relationship with. And I think that's important not only from a patient experience because you've built trust with that person, but it's also important from an efficiency standpoint given that your physician isn't asking you a bunch of questions they already know the answers to. Like when I, similar to when my friends and family call, I don't ask their meds, their allergies, and their prior history because I already know. I think that's important in terms of experience as well as the efficiency of how you provide care. Makes a lot of sense. 
And as I'm sure you've seen, you know, healthcare funding is booming or health tech is booming right now. What are you doing to really rise above the noise and, and stand out and, and capture the attention of all of these customers that you're working with? I think it's just providing a great experience. I think that if you provide great care, provide a great experience, more people are going to want to use your service. We have really happy clients that are willing to be our references when we're looking at new clients. And as long as we continue to do that, I think we'll continue to grow our, you know, our user base and client base. And as you've brought the idea to market, what would you say has been your greatest challenge so far? I think that as an entrepreneur that as a physician, as a background and not a business background, it just I had an idea of what I thought was the right way or what I thought was an optimal way to provide care, but didn't put as much, I guess, didn't have the understanding or importance of how you brand or how you present something before. And for a long time, we kind of got pigeonholed into, oh, you're just like a teledoc or you're similar to an EAP program or you're similar to this, as opposed to like, look, this is a, a different way of providing care. It's similar to some of these things, but not quite. And slowly educating folks and learning how to do that, I think was the biggest challenge for us. And during your time at Oscar Health, were there any lessons that you really walked away with? They're you know, one of the bigger, I think, most disruptive health startups that that I at least know of. So were there any valuable lessons or things that you walked away with from there? Yeah, I think that one of the biggest things in this, I, I saw this not just at Oscar, but even you know, in my time in the ER, I think that people really value convenience. And if you want to change behavior, the behavior you want people to change into has to be a convenient thing. So we talk to folks all the time like, oh, you know, we're doing a lot of patient education around getting them to not use urgent care and go to their primary care doctor instead. But then if you ask the patients why they don't do that, and they're like, well, it's not convenient. I call the doctor's office and they're not available till next week, but the urgent care is available in 10 minutes. So I think you need to provide a great service and that great service needs to be convenient and accessible as well. Makes a lot of sense. Last question here for you. If we zoom out into the future, what's the three-year vision for Radish? We want to be in all 50 states and providing care to a lot more patients than we currently are. So continue to grow, continue to provide care in the way we are. And we hope it helps not only show that our method of providing care is a better way, but I hope that you know, others that are in the industry start to do that as well as where you provide a doctor-patient relationship that's sustainable and with the same person. Uh, make sure that that doctor works with a therapist that and they talk to each other as well. And you actually truly coordinate your care and you have someone that you know, feels like that doctor in the family. I love it. Very cool. Well, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? So they can go to radish.health, spelled like the vegetable.health. And we have press pages on there, blog posts, as well as some case studies as well and basic information on what we do and how we do it. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat and wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Keep in touch. Bye.